Check. Today's episode is actually going to be a throwback um, from about a little over a year ago. I did an episode with a nuclear pharmacist, and um, I love the conversation. Uh, Divya gave us her day-to-day, uh, kind of what it took for her to become a nuclear pharmacist, and, and a lot more. So I um, hope you enjoy. You are a nuclear pharmacist, and I am super excited about today's episode because I have no idea what you guys do and what you even are. You're like a unicorn, so I am really (laughs) excited to dive deep into this. But before that, first start by telling the listeners a little bit about yourself. Okay, perfect. Um, So my name is Divya. Uh, I was born and raised in Queens uh, in New York, where that's also where I went to pharmacy school. I went to St. John's. Um, So I started off as a tech working in retail in my freshman year and continued that throughout college. Um, And for another three years post-grad as a pharmacist, I started working in nuclear medicine um, in 2016 and I haven't looked back to retail since. So I'm also a preceptor at my job and I take students on rotations their sixth year and teach them, you know, some of the basics about what I do. Um, and aside from pharmacy life, I have a three-year-old Shiba Inu, who is the love of my life. Uh, her, <laughs> her Instagram is Nala underscore the Shiba, if you guys want to make her Instagram famous. What? You know, That's she, awesome. She, <laughs> she already has more followers her. than me. Tonight. <laughs> but yeah, that, that about sums it up. That's super funny. I was in Japan last year, um, mm-hmm. and... You know, that's like a famous Japanese dog. And yes, they're just she is. everywhere. Like I'm so excited that you know because a lot of people don't know that. Yeah, it's super fun. Well, we have one yeah. in our my fiance actually, her aunt has one as well. His name is Milton. Oh, he does not oh, have an so Instagram cute. yet. But oh uh, well he needs to make one so yeah, we can be friends. I'm gonna hit him up and be like, yo, dude, get off Twitter and get on Instagram. <laughs> um, no, but yeah. Uh cool. So um what like so you're a nuclear pharmacist. When did mm-hmm. you know like how did you decide that you wanted to become one I mean how did that you know what's that story like so I was actually introduced to nuclear medicine while I was applying for the job to become a nuclear pharmacist I was honestly um, in retail and just you know looking to looking to see if I can have other opportunities outside of it and um, I did my research once I applied for the job because I actually had never heard of it myself um when you applied to being a nuclear pharmacist, were you, did you have to become one first? Because I know that some states have like specific licensing for it. Did you have to do that first or did you apply and then become licensed as a nuclear pharmacist? So you can actually do it either way. Some people choose to do a residency in nuclear medicine first, and then they, you know, continue working either in the hospital setting or a pharmacy um, afterwards. But most people, what they do is they get hired into a company or into a hospital setting, and then the company or the hospital will pay for the transition. So it's it's just a course that you have to take um, and then certification afterwards. There's no exam. It's basically like taking an extra college credit, um, but they're usually willing to pay for it without without a problem. So that was the way that I actually got into my job. So they hired me. I didn't have any prior experience. I mean, some people, you know, either do a rotation uh, or they do the residency. Like I said, I had no prior experience. And I want to say 90% of people that get hired into nuclear medicine have zero experience in really? it beforehand. Yeah. Well, that is I, I, promising <laughs> news, I think, because I, I think there's, uh, you know, positions that are possibly posted in places and 
people that are actively looking for the jobs probably see that and like, Psh, I'm not going to apply for that. That's going to be, that's a I, dumb idea. Right. You know so. what? I was one of those people. I was one of those people that saw the posting and I was like, there's no way I'm going to get this job because it's over my head. I don't know what this is about. I, you know, it's, it seems like it's so complicated and I don't know if I want to even be around like, you know, radioactive stuff, but a lot of those things went away as soon as I actually went into the interview process and did some research on my own. So there's a lot of misconceptions about it. And I feel like it's just the lack of knowledge. You know, you don't have um, a course that you could take at St. John's. Uh, well, my, my college that I went to, but any, most universities, I don't feel like they give you a course that's an elective or, you know, they, you know, teach, talk about it even in like, even on the side anywhere. Yeah. And I think, you know, you, you touched on something that I think that we're going to hopefully dive into in terms of misconceptions and, and being mm -hmm. exposed to, you know, radioactive materials, but First, yeah. let's kind of go to the basics. Like, what is a nuclear pharmacist and what do you guys actually do? Okay, so a nuclear pharmacist um, actually has several roles. So where I personally work, um, we're considered a pharmacy as far as like our license and registration. But what we actually do is we dispense uh, unit doses of radioactive material that's used for imaging purposes. Um, so to break that down, our, our lab actually receives generators uh, from vendors that produces uh, radioactive material. And we use that to tag uh, drugs with. And those drugs are injected into patients. The drug actually is not for um, like therapy purposes. It's for diagnostics. So its sole purpose is to take the radiation and bring it to a specific part of the body, depending on what they're imaging for. So there's drugs that go to the heart. There's drugs that go to the bone, the brain, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so the pharmacist actually does that part where they combine the radiation and the drug together. And it's called, it's basically called compounding. Yeah. And what the technicians do is they drop the unit doses and, you know, it gets packed up and delivered out. And we actually have drivers that do that too. So that's just a general gist of what we do. We also do something else called white cell uh, tagging, white blood cell tagging. So okay. basically we will receive a sample of blood from a hospital of a patient that has an unknown source of infection. And we'll separate the white cells, tag it with radiation and send it back to the hospital and they'll inject that into the patient and the white cells will travel back to the site of infection. So when you're imaged, they'll see where it is. And based on that, they'll be able to kind of figure out what to do from that point on. Wow. That is amazing <laughs> stuff right there. That's not probably what I find the most interesting about what I do. Yeah. And when you're actually compounding it, right? So mm -hmm. you're, cause I think you guys work like in a hood and there's all kinds of, you know, gear associated with yep. it because of there how, is crazy you know the type of materials you guys are working with what is it like when you're actually putting that tag onto that drug like what it, what is that kind of can you get can you kind of like run through that kind of of with us so um everything that we work with uh we, we're, we have like protective stuff it's either tungsten or lead because of the density it prevents the radiation from traveling too far through and like saves you on exposure so we basically have little vials and they're they're powdered form of drug and the radiation is actually in a solution of saline so we're basically reconstituting that's the only compounding portion of it as soon as that radiation um, solution mix hits the drug it's it's actually a chelation process so like it kind of like locks on almost right yeah exactly it, it locks on um this is super interesting because i i think a lot of people do not know about this so you no. have a powder <laughs> you have a powdered drug and then the mm -hmm. radioactive material is mm -hmm. in a saline solution. And then exactly. the minute that you kind of compound those together, which I'm assuming you basically pour 
the um, the you pour the saline solution with the radioactive material over the drug, mm-hmm. and then there's maybe it's some form. Actually, of- that it's in a it's in a vial. Like the the drug is actually in a vial, and you inject the radiation into it gotcha. uh, with a syringe. And we use syringe shields that are made of tungsten to protect our hands from exposure. Gotcha. And the kit, the cold, the vials are actually inside tungsten shields. So oh. it minimizes whatever exposure that you 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 have because we're also in a clean room. So there's very it's very limited like what we can have in there. Yeah. So we we the the metal part is fine, the tungsten part is fine, but you know everything else we have to be really careful with. Yeah. Um, so yeah. So once the uh, radiation tags to the drug, it literally takes like maybe five minutes, not even like five minutes is way too long. It actually takes a few seconds for to, for that process to go through. Yeah. And we also run quality control tests on it for purity, um, just to be sure that every single time we're making uh, a vial of drug that it's you know at least ninety five percent pure because those are the standards that are required by USP actually. Yeah. And, you know, when you, when that radioactive material gets injected in, is there, do you have to mix it? Does, does it go onto a machine? Um, what happens directly after that solution hits, hits the drug? So that actually depends on the drug. So there's, I want to say somewhere between 10 and 15 different kinds of drugs that we work with. Some of them require boiling uh, for 10 to 15 minutes. Some of them require, you know, the, an acid base um, reaction. There's actually only one that requires an acid base reaction. But the rest of them, for the most part, it it just sits there for like two minutes and you don't have to do anything else to it. You can immediately draw doses from it and, you know, perform the quality control tests on it. Cool. So we've made a radioactive drug. Mm-hmm. What happens after? And we've we've tested it. Everything is legit um, because Divya handled it. So it was you know, <laughs> superb like in, in there. What happens next to that drug? So the next step is uh, one of my technicians will take, it's, it's called a kit at this point. Uh, they will take the kit and they will draw up unit doses on it based on how much activity um, the prescription calls for. So the prescriptions that we receive are orders that are calibrated, let's say, you know, 10 millicuries at, you know, 11 o'clock. And the computer will basically tell us if we've drawn up the right amount and mm-hmm. we can dispense it at that point. And so and I'm assuming there is a specific order... Um, for a specific medication. So you guys are not making it for like in bulk or, or are you making it in bulk and then it goes out or are you making it per order? Um, so we make specific? it. So what we do is we, I'm sorry to cut you off. No, what, what was the whole question? <laughs> yeah, no, I was just wondering, is it, is it going out in bulk or is it going out like per order, like for per patient almost like per, like per prescription, let's say. It is going out per patient. We actually make the kits in bulk. So one kit, depending on which kit it is, you can get 10 to 20 doses out of it. And those unit doses are injected into the patient. So we draw up individual syringes of stuff from each kit. So yeah, the, the material that we make is in bulk, but what goes out ultimately is unit doses that are ready to administer. Wow. I feel like a thousand times smarter right now <laughs> because I know all of this stuff. <laughs> That's super cool. Um, Thank you. I wanted to go back in terms of um, what really got you to wanting to be a nuclear pharmacist in the first place. So I actually did not know anything about nuclear medicine until I applied for the position and got the job. Um, I was really looking for, you know, something outside of retail, which is the only thing that I knew for, you know, the nine years that I was in pharmacy. Yeah. Um, 
And, you know, I apply, I saw the job and, you know, first thing I thought was, okay, I don't have any experience, but, you know, why not? I'm just reaching out there. So I got a call back and during the interview process is when I learned more about it. And it initially, when some of my fears were, you know, you, you hear nuclear medicine, you're working with radioactive material, you know, like how risky is this? Like, am I going to be safe in these, in these, you know, in this situation? Yeah. Um, I learned a lot more about it once I actually went to my interview. Um, they explain to you in detail and they also actually like take you a walkthrough in the lab. And it's really different and really exciting. Really? So my, my first interview, I actually went in overnight. And it's the busiest time. The, the busiest time of our shift is actually overnight because a lot of these diagnostic procedures are, they, the exams are in the daytime. So your doctor's appointment is at 9 o'clock. You know, the stuff has to be ready, you know, 6, 7, 7 a.m. So we start at like 1 o'clock in the morning. Interesting. So and, you had, we had originally scheduled this, you know, this interview for a couple of days ago, but we had to reschedule because yeah. you got called in. So was that kind of like a similar situation? Yes, it was, okay. it was a similar situation. Yeah. The, the pharmacist that was supposed to do the, uh, overnight wasn't able to make it. So I was just like, you know what, I need to nap and then I'll, I'll go into work and, you know, I'll sort it out that way. That's awesome. Um, which it is great because the, the work flexibility, like the schedule flexibility is probably one of my favorite things about it. So I know like I'm saying I work overnights, but it's like I go in at two and I finish by four, four thirty five o'clock and you know, that's my shift is done, I go home. So but I still four thirty five o'clock in the morning? Yeah. That's not that's not really not that bad. <laughs> it's not bad at all. I would it do is that not, shift. It is not. <laughs> it's really not bad at all. Yeah. And the second shift, the pharmacist comes in, you know, five, six o'clock in the morning to relieve the overnight pharmacist. And I'm the I start at five and I finish by like noon, which is my which is my favorite shift actually because you start early enough where you you know are it's hard to explain I, I like it more because I get out so early I get out at noon and I have the whole day you know like yeah, yeah it sucks I have to go to bed early but it's so worth it and honestly it it gives you so much more t like use of your time I really remember in retail like that was the most constraining part of my life like my schedule was so bad. Hmm. Yeah, it, I mean, it, retail schedule is kind of rough. It's, you know, long hours. <laughs> I mean, you do yeah. get your your long weekends and stuff like that, but it does have its, it's, its downsides. So, yeah, um, I think you touched a little bit on it before. Uh, you might have mentioned what it takes to become one, but can you walk us through? Let's say, you know, just like yourself, you're a community pharmacist. You're wanting to make the switch, but you'd rather become a nuclear pharmacist first and then apply. What steps? How do you become a nuclear pharmacist? So to be a nuclear pharmacist anywhere in the U.S., you have to become what's called an authorized user of radiopharmaceuticals, and it's called an AU, basically, for short. Um, and you have to go through training for it specifically. Now, there's a couple of colleges that actually offer the training, which is what I did. I went to Purdue University. Cool. So the good thing, good thing about it is you have the opportunity to do it completely online, or you can do you know half online, half um, right at, actually on campus. I, I went to Indiana for it actually for a week, and it was a lot of fun. So cool. the, the course that I the course that I did was three weeks online, and it's a lot of physics, it's a lot of math. You know, it's kind of like taking an elective in school, basically. Yeah. And you you learn the basics. Um, you go in, you do all the on hand work. They teach you like how to use all the materials that we use inside the lab, um, as far as like you know knowing how to basics like knowing how to use a survey meter. You know, and survey meter is something that we use to look for contamination. Um, because, you know, radiation is not something that you can see or touch or feel or smell. It's just present. So the only way that we can test it or see if it's there is by using a survey meter. 
Gotcha. That makes um, a lot of so sense. Th- yeah. So they actually teach you how to use it, how to calibrate it. You know, they teach you techniques on how to reduce your exposure. And they re- actually go into the basics of the physics and, you know, the composition of all the drugs and stuff. So you learn a lot in that course that you use, you know, throughout your career, basically. And there, everything else you basically pick up at work also. Gotcha. So <laughs> after you become certified at the AU, I believe that's what it was, mm-hmm. AU, um, was mm-hmm. there anything else or that's it? You're done. You're, you're good. Uh, you also do have to have work experience. So the way that my job required it was that I worked under another pharmacist and basically learned how to compound and learned how to do, you know, those bloods that I was telling you about. And I was basically being watched by the pharmacist or there was always a pharmacist present on site until I did finish my AU training. I think it was like a thousand hours that was required. Yeah. Um, and then you do the AU training and after that it's you, once, once the AU training is complete and those hours are complete, you're basically certified. Nice. There's, okay. there's no exam or anything, which was a great perk. I do not do well on exams. Yeah. Oh, there is no exam. <laughs> that's awesome. Okay. So I'm going to, no, I'm going to put an asterisk on that because uh, <laughs> that's probably a concern for a lot of people. There is no exam. Yeah, guys. It is. Just no, there's do no the exam. hours and you're good. <laughs> <laughs> that's cool. So. Um, well, I hope, you know, that was fairly helpful in terms of if someone wanted to make that switch over. Now, one thing mm-hmm. I think people would be concerned of in making that switch or actually some people actually might love is the uh, people uh, part of it. Mm-hmm. It doesn't seem like you might get a lot of interactions with patients. Is that correct? That is very much correct. So one of the other things that I do enjoy a lot about the job is, I, you know, I don't have much contact with patients. Um, we do actually still have customers, though. But our customers are, you know, the doctor's offices, the clinics, the hospitals. Um, but the difference is when you're speaking to another professional on the other side of the line. So it has its challenges in itself because, you know, you're still trying to overcome any issues. If there's, you know, a delay in delivery, you know, someone messed up an order, whatever the case is. So you're still trying to please, you know, a customer. Um, the difference being they're usually more understanding because, you know, we're dealing with these same people every single day. It's a really much smaller network of people that you're communicating with. Yeah. And they're professionals. Um, so I'm sure they can, you know, they're way more understanding and able to much see more, problems. Exactly. Exactly. Much more understanding. And they don't and they know that they have to maintain a good relationship because you're working with these people literally every day, all day. Yeah. Yeah. And if they need favors, they're going to always try to stay on your good side also. True. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> That's pretty cool. And, yeah. um, what, uh, what would you say is your, like, what do you love about it? Like, what would you say if you had to pick like one thing you did mention your schedule was awesome. Um, mm-hmm. what, is there anything else or would you, would you would say is like, this is like the thing that I love about going to work? I definitely want to say the atmosphere that I have at my job is amazing. I, I really do love my coworkers and, you know, my, my techs and, and everybody there. And it's mostly because everyone's been there for so long that they've cr- cr- really created a really positive work environment. And that's just specific to my job. As far as like my daily chores, I just really find that it's challenging, but not in a way where I'm just stressed out and I feel defeated at the end of the day. It's more like, okay, this is another challenge and this is how I'm going to overcome it today. Yeah. And it, it really, at the end of the day, I don't feel like, you know, I messed up or like, okay, tomorrow is going to be a better day. Like I, I, I don't, I never, ever feel that way. I always feel like, okay, I accomplished something today. You know, I set a goal and I, I made it today. Like it's, it's really like a lot more positive feeling than what I was dealing with before. Yeah. So uh, being that you came from community, you're going to be able to relate to this. Do you feel mm-hmm. like at some point, cause you say that some things are challenging 
um, but not too challenging where you're stressed out. But does it get, does it ever seem to be mundane or are there a lot of differences that you do like in your day? Uh, because that would be my only thing I would wonder, like, I wonder how repetitive is it in terms of like, um, you know, the, the mundaneness of that. Do you ever feel that way or is it just pretty much fairly different throughout the day? What's, um, how's that like? So in the same sense where, you know, when, when I was working community, I did feel like, you know, there were some things that I did every single day and it seemed to be mundane. And that does similarly apply in nuclear medicine because there are, so there are constraints on how much you can do in nuclear medicine. Um, but the good thing is, you know, you are consistently challenged in a way where people are always asking you questions and you find new ways to answer it every single time. Gotcha. And it's, it's also like there's there's nuclear medicine has such a long history that, you know, things will come up from like, you know, 10 years ago, like somebody that used to, you know, do a specific kind of test will be like, oh, do you guys offer this? And then there's research involved for that. What is this? How does this work? Is it something that we can still get? You know, so it, it does provide a different kind of a challenge every day as far as meeting demands of, of our customers. Gotcha. Um, so it sounds like there's not there's no like set menu, you know, that you can choose from only and always. It's more of like you can kind of adjust and meet customer demands and other needs like that. Exactly. Cool. Exactly. Cool. So what about, what would you say is, I guess then your least favorite thing um, that you, or at least, or maybe even like, what's the hardest part maybe of your job? The hardest part actually is ironically the physical labor. So I, I mentioned earlier that a lot of the material that we work with is made from tungsten and lead. And because of its density, it helps us with exposure. A lot of those things are very heavy. Really? So, the, yeah, so we actually work with a material called um, FDG, which is used for pet imaging. And it has, it's, it's, let's just say it's very high exposure. Like it's something that's a lot I want to say stronger than most of the other stuff that we work with. So for that reason, it requires a lot more shielding and it is very heavy stuff to lift. Really? So you guys are <laughs> all jacked in there, huh? <laughs> I have some muscle that don't need to go to the gym. Awesome. That, is, that is one perk, I guess, yeah. but I hate it. <laughs> <laughs> That's super funny. Interesting. Well, I, I'm pretty sure people would have never, you know, never really thought that. Um, that, yeah. that would be like a, a thing that's like a problem, you know, like that people have to deal with. It, it was, it, it, it's so funny when I first started, you know, I used to think that my coworkers were playing pranks on me because I couldn't lift the stuff off the cart. So I was thinking that it was glued down. I just realized later that I was a weakling and I needed to, you know, build some biceps. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> wow. Well, um, I wanted to talk about misconceptions. So you had mentioned mm -hmm. that there's a lot of misconceptions, uh, you know, around nuclear, nuclear medicine and being a nuclear pharmacist. Can you, I guess, talk a little bit about what the misconceptions are and why, why they're wrong? Of course. So, um, when I, I still remember this, when I first got this job, I was so excited. And, you know, first thing I did was obviously I went and told my mom. Yeah. And, you know, she's, <laughs> she's, she's a nurse, so she has, you know, a background in healthcare. And she was just like, nuclear nuclear medicine no no oh my god what you know your ovaries you don't have kids yet you you can't do that it's not okay and yeah. legitimate I, concerns I, very, very legitimate concerns yeah. just you know and this you know with also the added drama of, of being a mom it made it a little difficult yeah. for me to get through to her but that was also one of my concerns too you know like what if you know in the near future i want i want to have a baby is this something that's going to affect my body negatively and i don't even know about it yeah. And that's actually one of the first questions that I asked on my interview to the overnight pharmacist who happens to be um, 
my my only other female coworker. Cool. She actually worked throughout her pregnancy. Wow. Um, okay. In the lab, the only difference was she was put on one of the lighter shifts just to lower her exposure because there actually are state requirements as far as what our exposure levels are allowed to be, and the company standards are even stricter than that. So we never reach those limits. Gotcha. Um, and it's measured. We actually wear these plastic rings and uh, a badge that goes like right on our lab coat and mm -hmm. it measures our exposure on a daily basis. And those get sent out and they get checked and make sure that we're not going over those limits. Does it like so the only or vibrate kind of like a Apple watch does? Like if it's like, yo, you're kind of creeping like on this level. <laughs> no, no. I mean, it, the, it, the only thing that it does is it picks up the amount of exposure you're getting and they, it literally gets sent out to a facility that processes how much exposure you're getting. And we get numbers back based on that. And we, look at those numbers on a regular basis and make sure we're not doing something wrong that's making those numbers jump in, in the wrong direction. Gotcha. So it's kind of like a safety check, like a exactly. ongoing like a safety, safety check. check. Mm -hmm. Nice, cool. So um, so I guess the the misconception there is that you, you know, it's dangerous for uh, especially women that are, you know, thinking about, you know, childbearing, but also mm -hmm. men can be concerned about being exposed as well. But um, so the misconception is that you would be exposed so much that it would have, it'd be detrimental to family planning. Which is, is not the case at all. It's, okay. it's actually the, the, the things that we work with are in such a low level um, of exposure that it's really not dangerous at all. All those precautions are just for our personal safety, but it's not even necessary because you never reach those limits to begin with. Gotcha. Interesting. So what yeah. other uh, what other misconceptions would you say that there might be? Because that'd probably be the only one I would be able to bring up. <laughs> so besides that, um, a lot of people, you know, confuse what we do. Uh, they, you know, they hear the terms radiation oncology and think they go hand in hand, which, you know, in the hospital setting, it does. But what we do is actually very different. It's not chemotherapy related at all. Like I said before, it's, it's mostly for diagnostic purposes. So, you know, the best example that I can give is a lot of people are very familiar with the cardiac stress stress test. Yeah. But they don't know that, you know, it's 90% of the time it's done with nuclear medicine. Had um, zero you, idea. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so you are actually injected with uh, radio radioactive material that's tied to a drug called Sestamibi. Sestamibi is probably the number one agent for uh, cardiac imaging. Um, and it travels to the heart and they image it and they check for any issues uh, based, on, based on the image that they get. Um, so a lot of people don't know that it's mostly diagnostic. It's not actually any kind of therapy. The only therapy that you'll find is we also make um, radioactive uh, iodine caps, which are used for, you know, thyroid ablation. Yeah. Um, so there's that. And then also, I, I really feel like a lot of people don't know that pharmacists have a role in nuclear medicine. You know, they think, oh, there's, you know, people that are technologists and there's, you know, doctors that, you know, look at the images and stuff. But when I say, you know, I'm a nuclear pharmacist, they're like, what is that? I didn't know that was a thing. That's always, always the first thing that I yeah. hear. Um, and, you know, I, I, I love talking about it. I love explaining it. But I, it's, a lot of people don't know that, you know, I'm not counting radioactive pills. <laughs> she does the same thing. It's just crazy back there. <laughs> it's <just> much crazier. <laughs> A lot of people don't know that they, you know, they, they ask and the first thing they always ask is, oh, so you work with chemotherapy. And I'm like, no, no, it's not like chemo. Like they think or you they a, say a, a steel, like a pure steel counting tray. 
with like a sword <laughs> for a spatula. <laughs> yeah, that's a imagine? nuclear pharmacist. <laughs> that's super funny. <laughs> well, interesting. I mean, that yeah. that is some really interesting stuff. Again, I am the knowledge bombs that are being dropped here are, are phenomenal. <laughs> Glad to hear. So, uh, what about resources? What what are you using, if if anything, on a daily basis, or what are the main resources that uh, people in nuclear medicine or nuclear pharmacists uh, has to use? Um, so it's going to sound crazy. My primary set of resources are actually my coworkers, nice. and I say I say that because two of them have been in nuclear medicine for like twenty five years. If they don't know the answer, nobody else. Does. I've I've come to that complete conclusion. Yeah. Um, but aside from that, you know, when I'm doing research on my own, um, there's a site called the Society of Nuclear Medicine and Molecular Imaging. I think it's snmmi.com. And they have all the updated journals, um, any kind of CEs that you want to do, even like basic introductory information. So find all of that on there. And one of the things that I found is it's anytime you're doing research, especially with nuclear medicine, it's really hard to find everything in one area. Like, even if you do a Google search, it'll be all over the place. And yeah. I've noticed that this site has a lot of like journals and everything that's like up to date in nuclear medicine is all on that one website, which is really useful. Super interesting. Yeah. I, for a second there, when you were like, when you were saying like, oh, you're not going to believe this, I swear I thought you were going to say LexiComp because <laughs> I, I love LexiComp. I was like, oh my God, don't tell me LexiComp is also like, like in nuclear medicine or something. <laughs> <laughs> I have not found use for use for LexiComp at work, unfortunately. Okay. I also love it too, but I, we haven't we haven't been hanging out recently. Gotcha. So because no, I'm a huge fan, and I, I was really just waiting. For, I was gonna lose it. Like, <laughs> I, my mind was about to be lost. Like if that would have happened. But uh, but anyway, yeah, the resources. You, you threw me for a twister. Anyway, <laughs> and um, I'm gonna I'm gonna link up in the show notes all the links that you mentioned. So you know, people mm-hmm. that are listening now don't. Need, don't feel the need to go and rewind. I'm going to put it in the show notes so you can you can look at that later. And I do want to talk about though. So students. So there's some of the listeners. A lot of listeners actually are pharmacy students or even pre pharmacy students. And I wanted to see if you can maybe give them some advice as what they could be doing now, like or even tonight or tomorrow. Uh, what can they start doing if they're going to be if they're interested in nuclear pharmacy? Other than obviously listening to this podcast. <laughs> Um, okay, so I did mention before that one of the things I do at my job, I'm also a preceptor for rotation students. I really think that if your university offers a rotation in nuclear medicine, that it's your best opportunity to experience everything you can because you're literally thrown into the heart of it all. You know, you're you're actually there, you're being taught, you're working, you're, you're hands-on with everything, and it's the best experience that you can get, and you can kind of get a feel for if you're really going to like it or not. You know, I can sit there and tell you my schedule is great, I love doing this, I love doing that, but at the end of the day, there's, I've had students that come in and say, you know, this is something I really want to do. And they leave the rotation saying, I don't know if it's for me. And the other way around, I've had students that show no interest and students that leave, like, can you please give me a recommendation? I want to apply. I want to do this. I want to do that. So it, it really gives you a feel for um, if it's going to be the right thing for you if you do a rotation. So that's primary, primary thing you can definitely do. Um, second thing is, like I said, a lot of universities don't offer like an elective or even any kind of course in nuclear medicine. So, so what some of my students actually have done before that they tell me, they reach out to, you know, companies in their area and see if they can do a walkthrough or see if they can, you know, go in and like just shadow for a day and see what's going on. So that's also something I would definitely recommend doing. Because yeah. like I said, being in the heart of the whole thing is probably the best way for you to figure out if you're going to be comfortable to begin with. You know, a lot of people 
they think, oh, you know, it's it, it'll be fine. I'll be comfortable. And I've, I've had students that had panic attacks just because they, they, they stress <laughs> themselves out. I can really see yeah. that, actually. Especially like, yo, this is heavy. Like, <laughs> like of all I the can't. things, like, like it's radioactive <laughs> and is heavy. <laughs> it's like the worst. Um, uh, cool. So what about any skills? Like, do you think there's any sort of skills that maybe students can be working on or even like pharmacists like that they can be working on that would maybe prove to, I guess, put them in a good spot to be successful as a nuclear pharmacist? Uh, definitely compounding techniques. So a lot of the stuff that we do is, is in, in a hood and it's compounding and it's basically how, how well you work with your hands with syringes, how comfortable you are, um, how accurately you, you draw up, like draw up, uh, doses and stuff. And also it's really about keeping calm, like keeping your nerves calm. Yeah. And do you have to have like 20, 20 vision? Cause that's going to suck. If <laughs> I do not have to I wear glasses. I, I wear glasses too. <laughs> oh, okay, and it's good. really annoying because I wear I wear a mask and every time you have to wear a mask in the clean room. Every time I wear my glasses to work, it fogs up uh, and you, you just can't see and it's just it's just this whole other issue that I have to deal with at work. This is too much for me right now. Yeah. So you have to like, get contacts borderline? <laughs> no, usually you're fine. Oh, like, all, I feel I like all contacts. my coworkers were, really? Yeah, I, I don't. Contacts. Not a big fan. Like I ride it. I tried it once when I was in college and I was like, tried it for like three days. Like this is real stupid guys. Like you, I'm going back to my glasses. You got to get AccuView one a days. I got to check that out, I guess. I don't <laughs> know, man. Like it was hard for me. Now I ride it out. Like I do a bunch of stuff where I can't wear my glasses for. I'm just like, yep, yeah, I'm just toughing life out right now. <laughs> but uh, I refuse, but maybe I'll check those out. Okay. <laughs> so let's talk about pharmacists. So like, let's say I'm a pharmacist, obviously, and I'm sure there's also a lot of other pharmacists that are listening right now that actually might be interested. Um, and the reason why they're here is because they're interested in becoming a nuclear pharmacist. What <laughs> can they do being that they don't have the opportunity to, you know, go on rotation again um, right. or, be, or because they don't want to go and do a residency just because they want to do nuclear pharmacy, let's say. What can like a pharmacist that's already out in the field practicing, what can they do now um, if they're interested in transitioning over? So when I was in that position, what I was doing was a lot of applying for positions. And one thing that I did mention before is, you know, a lot of people have this fear of applying for a nuclear medicine position because they're like, I don't have any experience in this. But 90% of people that go into nuclear medicine don't have any prior experience. And I'm talking about like not even rotation experience, you know, not even like listening to a podcast on nuclear medicine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so if you're listening right now, you're already way ahead of the game. Let's Exactly. Say. <laughs> you're way ahead of when I was when I started. So nice. it's better than nothing. Um, definitely what you can do. Uh, I feel like LinkedIn is a great, great source of networking. And there's a lot of recruiters that are consistently looking for people that are interested in working in nuclear medicine. And they, one of the, one of the drawbacks of it is it's going to be scattered all over the place. So you might have to be willing to relocate to find a position because the turnover rate is very low. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I did mention before one of my coworkers, the, the person that I actually replaced was there for 15 years wow. and he left for another job that opened up in a hospital. It's the only reason he left. Wow. So relocation is something you would definitely most likely have to consider unless you got very lucky like I did. Thank God. Um, but that, that is one of the things. And also, um, I know a lot of people think they should jump the gun and just take the AU training just so that they have that on hand when they're applying for the job. But 
it, I don't think that it gives you an advantage over anybody else only because that AU training doesn't help unless you have the experience with it. Darn it. I just was signing up for one right now. (laughs) (laughs) That's interesting insight though. I'm glad, I'm glad you pointed that out because I think a lot of people might've thought that, you know, that'd be the best way to go. Um, no, being an AU, um, specifically for New York State, at least only pharmacists can be an AU, but in other states, you know, even technicians can do it. So it's not yeah. something that will give you, you know, a foot forward into, into a job like that. Yeah. So you did mention something that uh, I have a question about. So mm-hmm. you said that there was someone that you replaced that left the position you're in because a position in a hospital opened up. Right. What type of settings do nuclear pharmacists practice in um, is and and if you can just maybe go over like maybe some pros and cons like maybe why did he leave you know where you were mm-hmm. in terms of like because of the setting like can you talk a little bit about that of course so I I know for a fact um, the reason that the pharmacist that I replaced left was for scheduling issues he was not comfortable with the way our weekend rotation was so for personal reasons he left and he found another job in a hospital um his role actually did change significantly so one thing that i failed to mention before is every nuclear pharmacy or nuclear site requires somebody called a radiation safety officer to work and as far as new york state goes the rso the radiation safety officer has to be a pharmacist So what they do is they basically do paperwork that relates to all the regulations, making sure that everything is under control. There's no risks to the cult, to anyone working there, that all the licenses are up to date. Basically, all the paperwork side um, that is involved with, you know, running a nuclear pharmacy is put onto the radiation safety officer. So that's what that's the position that he took on in the hospital. Cool. Okay. And what are the other... I mean, are there any other types of settings that, you know, that you would say kind of sticks out as terms of like, oh, you could go work here and it's much different to working here? Um, Mm -hmm. Or would you say that they're all fairly the same, just you're in different labs under different hoods with different heavy stuff on your hands? As far as like the the workload um, in a hospital and like the lab that I work in, it's basically very similar. Um, But there are other places you can work. Um, I know that there's a couple of pharmacists that actually work at a nuclear reactor. So the Mm. reactor is one of the places that produces large amounts of radiation and, you know, they need people to basically run it, you know, do all the testing and all that stuff on it. So there are pharmacists that take on that role also. Hmm. Interesting. Well, I am fairly blown away. I mean, you know, I've known a lot about other areas of pharmacy and, you know, Mm -hmm. talked about it, but this one, I probably knew the most little about, but feel like I know, you know, so much more, you know, knowledge. So I have so much more knowledge gained with it as well. So I do Glad thank you so much for, and I think you did an awesome job at breaking it all down for us. Thank um, you. Lay non-nuclear people. So um, <laughs> I, I do really, really appreciate you you coming on here. And, and I wanted you to tell the listeners if, if they have more questions on, you know, and continuing the conversation and they want to learn more about nuclear pharmacy, what would be the best way for them to, uh, to reach out to you? Oh, uh, sure. So my, uh, my LinkedIn is just, you know, my name, Divya Madhu. Um, if they want to reach out to me on my email, it's divya.madhu35 at gmail.com. And then my Instagram is uh, divabear26. So that's D-I-V-A-B-E-A-R 26. And then if you follow me, you have to follow my dog. That's yes. Nala underscore the Shiba. <laughs> <laughs> about to go follow that tonight. <laughs> Super excited. Is there anything else that you want to leave the listeners with um, about anything, about pharmacy, life, the world, nuclear pharmacy, anything, nuclear medicine? Um, 
The only thing that I definitely have to say is if you are, you know, looking into any position outside of what you're doing, and it doesn't matter if it's nuclear medicine, if it's anything and it seems quite challenging and you feel like you're not up for it, go for it anyway, because I definitely have to say it's the best decision that I've made for myself. Like I'm much happier with my work. I'm much more content on a day-to-day basis. And I love talking about what I do. And having that is so much more important than just, you know, sitting in a comfort zone for sure. Awesome. Well, Thank you, Divya, so much for being on the show. I really, really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Hope you enjoyed that episode. Make sure to subscribe if you haven't yet and connect with me on any of your favorite social media platforms. As always, appreciate you tuning in. Hope you have a great rest of your day. Yeah. Yeah.